Good to see you tonight. We're going to take a few moments and pray, and then we'll get going with Bible study. Let's pray. Father, thanks for love. Thanks for your patience. Thanks for your long-suffering. Thanks, God, uh, for just uh, your friendship. And so tonight we celebrate your friendship with us, our friendship with one another. We celebrate your presence because you're here. We've gathered in the name of Jesus. Uh, we celebrate your power, and your revelation tonight. We ask that you would speak to us. We ask that we would have ears to hear, eyes to see, uh, really an open and ready heart to receive, an open and ready mind to receive, all that you want to say and all that you want to do. So we ask you to have your way. Pray, God, that we would receive. Uh, we give you thanks and we give you praise tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've received a speak pipe tonight, uh, we have a message, and I want to play that for you. It comes to us from somewhere in China, if you're ready for that. Hello, this is Laura from Yangzhou, China. I'm listening to Monday Bible Study. Thank you for praying for us. You're welcome, Laura. Thank you for sending us a message. Uh, we do appreciate that, and if uh, anyone else would like to send us a message, it could be as simple as that, or it could be a hello, or uh, let us know where you're from. We'd appreciate that. Uh, in order to do that, you go to a website at www.speakpipe.com, that's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E.com, slash Monday Night Bible Study, and that's all one word. That'll bring you to what looks like... A, a voicemail or some kind of a recording, press the button, leave us a message, it gets sent to us, and we will endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. If you have your Bibles, uh, let's open up to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. always good to hear from Laura. Yeah. Thanks, Laura. Ephesians 4. Any volunteer read verses 2 and 3? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the land of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. All right. Thanks for reading that. Uh, the thing that struck me about these verses, one of the things that struck me about these verses, are the absolute words in them. The uh, Bible sometimes speaks in uh, relative words and sometimes in absolute words. And so when there's absolute words that are being used, I normally pay attention to that. And words like always is, is one of those. In every is an absolute word. Uh, now, a relative word would be like in some, but it doesn't say that, it says in every. And you know, sometimes would be kind of a relative word, but always is an absolute word. And so when you see those kinds of words, take note. Uh, that's something, it's very emphatic. It's something that I believe the Holy Spirit, through the writer of whatever you're reading in the Scriptures, is really trying to emphasize a point for us that this is who we're to be. It's not something that we're just giving it a shot at. Because some things in the Bible, we're giving it a shot. Well, this isn't giving it a shot. This is who we're called to be. And that's why it uses words. And that's why words like always and every are used because what is being done in us and what I believe the Holy Spirit wants to do in us is to change us and to make us different. And if we're going to become different, then we have different expectations. We have a different way of going about life. And so words like always and every apply because something in our life changes. 
something actually is different. And we're going to live differently. We're going to uh, conduct ourselves differently. We're going to have, we're going to do relationships differently. And we're going to understand one another differently. We're going to treat one another differently. Because something in me, something in us has changed. And so I believe that there's a call to some basic change that the Holy Spirit wants to do in us in order to bring this to pass. Because I don't pretend that I'm going to be able to do this on my own. I don't know anything that I can do always, uh, unless it's involuntary. So in other words, I can pretty much say as long as I'm alive, I will always be breathing. Okay? Because that's a condition of life. So if I'm going to live, I'm going to breathe. And, and But that's involuntary, in a sense. So I don't think about breathing all the time, and I just breathe. And it's just the way I live. And so I'm always breathing, or my heart is always beating. But that's not a voluntary thing. That's an involuntary thing. That's just the way I'm created. That's the way we're made. And so that's the kind of thing that I'm really looking at this saying, okay, God, this is the kind of change I need in my life that this is going to be something that is actually a part of me, something that is woven into my life, something that is woven into my existence, something that is woven into the way I'm going about living. And I want to encourage you to think of it that way, to, to think of God doing something so deep in us, God doing something so radically different in us that we're just going to live that way from now on. Now, one thing I will say is, is you can't resist it and accept it as something deep inside of you all at the same time. So in other words, this isn't something you're arguing with God about actively and he's basically changing something in you. This is something that we receive. This is something that we accept and this is something that God does in us. No argument that, that this is something I want. This is something I need. This is something that's best. This is something that... I need change for. This is something that I really need to depend on you for. And so the argument's over. The days of arguing about it are over if that's what you want. If you want change and you want God to radically change something in you like that, to change the way that you see things, the way, change the way that you understand things, change the way that you're going to interact with people, whatever it is, then it's something that question needs to be answered before any of that's going to happen. The question of, do I really want this? Yeah. Is this something that I believe that, that God has for me? Yeah. Am I going to argue with him about it? Do I, do I, am I going to defend myself on this? Am I going to pretend? Am I going to say the right things but not actually live them? See, those are all the questions. Those have to be answered if you want some change. And, and so answer those questions first and then ask God for the change. See God moving by his Holy Spirit to bring the change in us. And so, some of the words that are being used here, and he starts off, see, and he uses one of those words uh, in some of the versions, maybe yours doesn't say this, mine did, always, always, was one of the first words that were being used here, always be humble and gentle, always have a, a be patient with others. See, th that's a kind of word there, always, that implies a change in me. Something's got to change in me for that to be true. Because in our own efforts, we can sometimes be humble, and we can sometimes be gentle, and we can sometimes be patient with others. Right? I mean, my effort can produce that a little bit here or there, but not always. And so if it's that always is going to come to pass, and something very basic in me needs to change. Something very deep in me needs to change if that's going to be the way I'm going to live my life. Now, am I talking perfection? No. But I'm talking a different way of seeing things. I'm talking a different way of understanding things. I'm talking a different way of going about life. But that requires a fundamental change in me. In other words, I can't keep living the way that I was living 40 years ago and accomplish that. I can't do it. I can't keep living the way I was living when I was in college and accomplish that. I just can't do it. Or high school or whatever you want to talk about. I just can't do that because that's not how I was living. Now, I can go and I can say, well, I'm better at it 
in my own strength. I can get better at being gentle or better at being patient with others. You know, I can learn to count to 10 before I respond or something like that or, or use some of those little things that you use, you know, to try to, to calm yourself down before you respond poorly. There are certain methods in order to do that, but that's not a fundamental change. That's a, that's a tool. I mean, it's not a bad tool, and I'm not ripping on the tool. All I'm saying is, is that this is talking about something a little more deep in us that God wants to do. Something deeper in us that God wants to bring about. And, and to me, that, that's, that, that's part of what God is saying about being, having the renewal of our minds, being transformed. That's part of what God is talking about when he's talking and Jesus is presenting the gospel and, and about how old things pass away and all things become new. And those passages in the Bible that talk about that, that talk about that kind of a radical change in our life. We've come to the point, I think, some of us have as Christians, you're a Christian long enough where you just ignore that stuff. And I want to encourage you not to. I want to encourage you not to ignore the deep things that God still wants to do in us. And and don't say, well, if he was going to do it, he would have done it by now. Mm, maybe not. And maybe he's not the problem, okay? <laughs> maybe he's not the one that's really the, standing in the way. Maybe he's not the one resisting. Maybe he's not the one that has an issue. It could be me. And maybe when I get out of the way, some kind of really radical fundamental change might take place in my life if I can step out of the way long enough and see it happen. And that's just the truth. So these words he's using, he said always. And I want you to think of when, when, when you think of that, the word always, some of your Bibles say this, but think of the, the kind of the, the idea of every kind, every kind. Like every kind of humility, every kind of gentleness, every kind of patience. Let those be developed in you. Let those come about in you. And those words that he's using, like uh, it, it's speaking of an earnestness. Like, like I'm really mean it. I'm earnest about this uh, of thought and, and an earnest, earnestness of exertion. Because there's going to be another part of this where I'm going to talk to you about exertion. I'm going to talk to you about exercising. I'm going to talk to you about actually putting a little bit of effort into something, but securing the things that are difficult. And, and that's really so, some of the things that we're seeing here. There's some things here that he talks about that are difficult. Always being humble is difficult. Always being gentle is difficult. Always being patient with others. That's really difficult. That's really difficult. And, and think about, okay, hum, humility, hum, being humble. Well, that's a lowliness. We don't really like that. We don't like being lowly. In fact, our culture, the pattern of this world is don't be lowly. The pattern of this world is you need to look out for number one. Because if you don't look out for number one, nobody else is going to. All right, that's what we're taught. That's what people are taught. I was taught that as a little kid. My mother taught me that. She was wrong. God bless her, she was wrong, but she taught me that in my own best interest, in her mind, and yet that's not what the Bible teaches. And even though I was taught that as a child, I have to examine that as an adult and say, well, is that what God's saying? Is that the will of the Father for my life? Is that the example of Jesus that I see in the Scriptures? Is that really the truth? Or is that just a pattern that our world gives us? You know, I was just watching Star Trek, The Next Generation. You know that one? It's my least favorite Star Trek. And, and this is the season, I just started season two. It's when Whoopi Goldberg shows up as Guinan, the bartender. If you've ever seen it, you know what I'm talking about. But she's just full of little nuggets all the time for people. And so she's, she's telling Wesley Crusher today, she's saying to little Wesley, who's annoying. Uh, I find him very annoying. But uh, he's saying to him, sometimes Wesley, because he was saying, you know, it's more important uh, to consider others before yourself. That's what he told Guinan, which, hey, 
Cool. That's like Bible, right? Now, Guinan, in her retort, says, but sometimes you have to give yourself permission to just be selfish. Thank you, Guinan. All right, that might work in outer space in the 24th century, okay? But what we're talking about in the Bible right now, that ain't it. That ain't cutting it. All right? And my mama, she, I love my mama, but she was wrong about it. Guinan's wrong about it. The world, the patterns of this world are wrong about it. They're all wrong about it. And if you're listening to this, you don't know what I was just talking about, don't go looking it up. It's terrible. Don't even do it. Some people love it. And if you do, agree or disagree. But we got to allow God to begin to set those patterns. There needs to be a renewing of our mind. A renewing of our mind. A different way of seeing things and a different way of thinking about things. And lowliness is a part of that. What that actually looks like and how we actually live that way. It's hard. And, and I know you can say, oh no, it's easy. It's not easy. It's not easy. Because there's a part of us that's rebellious and there's a part of us that's selfish and there's a part of us that wants our way and there's a part of us that wants to be number one and there's a part of us that wants to, to have control over things and there's a part of us that, that wants to control other people and there's a part of us that has all these expectations of this world and they're not being met and there's a part of us that, that's upset and there's a part of us that's bitter and there's a part of us that's living in unforgiveness and there's a part of us... I go on and on. Lowliness is not an easy place. It's just not. And there are lots of things outside and within that are working against that in our lives. That's why it needs to be a work of the Holy Spirit. It needs to be a work of fundamental change in us. Because I can argue with you about it, and we can fight ourselves about it, and we can get upset about it, but that ain't going to change it. Fundamentally, what's going to change that is the Holy Spirit's work in our life. When we really, really just cry out to God and just say simply, you ready? I just want to be like Jesus. I just want to be like Jesus. If that's the cry of our heart, then lowliness is a part of that. Because that's who he is. I mean, his, his most famous sermon, Sermon on the Mount, arguably his most famous sermon, Sermon on the Mount, you look at the first three or four things that he talks about. The poor in spirit. And, and get an idea of, not only is he living this, but he's also laying this out in sermon form, in teaching form, for his followers, however many were following that day, the thousands that were there, the hundreds that were there, however many were there, he was laying that out as an expectation for them is that this is how to live. And you can ignore it if you want, but I mean, if it's important enough for Jesus to live it, and it's important enough that he takes like the, the, the biggest opportunity that he has to teach it and that's one of the main things, one of the first and main things that he teaches. You're ignoring a lot. I'm ignoring a lot if I'm going to choose to ignore this idea of lowliness. Because this idea of being humble, this idea of being lowly, is, is a key component of what the gospel is. If we're going to actually live it. second thing he talks about is the idea of being gentle. And another word for that that's used in the scriptures is meekness. Of being meek. And I'm going to give you a kind of a weird definition of this. But I want you to hear it. But being meek by its very nature is this. Accepting God's will without dispute or resisting. That's meekness. Accepting God's will for your life, for your life without dispute or resisting. That's not always easy. I've had a few arguments with God. I've had a few discussions along the way. And every time I had that discussion with him, every time I had that argument with him, I wasn't being very meek. I wasn't being very gentle. I was being honest, but I wasn't being that. 
And so the work of the Holy Spirit in us is cultivating that and growing that in our lives to the point that I got no better idea and I've got nothing better to do than what God has for me. I got no better plan. I got no better way of going about it. I got nothing. So whatever you want, God, whatever you have, whatever you want to do in my life, that's good. That's meekness. That's a, a certain, uh, a certain gentleness, a calmness, and a peace of mind to be able to accept not only what God says, but what's going on around us. That's important if we're going to be the people God wants us to be. A humility of mind is born out of remembering where you came from. Never forget. Just never forget where you came from. I know people want to do that. They want to, you know, they'll talk about, well, I've been washed and I've been born again and I've been washing the blood and my sins are cast as far as the east is from the west and all this other stuff. And all that could be true. All that is true. My sins were scarlet. They, they're now white as snow. I mean, all that's Bible. And I, I can quote all that to you. And all that's true. And I can be forgiven. I can be cleansed. I can be set free. I can be a different person today than I was 20 years ago, 30 years, 40 years ago. I can be a different person. But I don't want to forget where I came from. Because just because I don't forget where I came from doesn't mean I'm not redeemed and I'm washed. Doesn't mean I'm not forgiven. It doesn't mean I got a new life that God's given me to live. Because I do. But I never want to forget where that was that I was redeemed out of. I never want to forget the mire and the mud that I was taken out of to bring me to where I am now. Because somehow, some way, as I remember that, somehow, some way, as I take hold of that and I don't forget that, it leads to a humility of mind in me. Because that person that I'm running across is struggling. I remember what that's like. That confused person, I remember what that's like. That rebellious person, I remember what that's like. That person acting out and being a fool, I remember what that's like. Okay. All right. I've been asked, I, you know, I've run a church here on Westcott for so many years. You know, how do you deal with some of the people that come through here? I remember where I came from. That's the secret. I'm giving you the secret right now. Secret sauce on how to deal with people. Remember where you came from. Remember what you came out of. Because when I stood in front of this place, we were still building it. It was, uh, it was half done. We, we moved in here. Didn't have a heater. It was February or something. I forget. I think it was February we moved in here. We had a prayer meeting on a Friday night. No heat. Making our own heat up here. And I remember calling out. You know who I called? I called freaks like me to come here. People like me that came out of whatever they were coming out of. People that were coming out of drugs and alcohol and people that were coming out of broken situations and people that were coming out of broken relationships. Just called them out. By, you know, just, just by name. Because that's who I believe God had called us and called me to be here for. Why? Because I remember where I came from. I know what I needed. I know the kind of place that I needed to see and I needed to be a part of when all that happened that I couldn't find. So we got to remember where we come from. Because the humility of mind is opposed to pride in us. And being prideful, that just gets you nowhere. At least not in the kingdom. The kingdom is not made up of that. That's not the stuff of the kingdom. The stuff of the kingdom is for the humility of mind, the, the humble, the gentle. That's the stuff of the kingdom. That's the stuff that the Holy Spirit wants to do in us. He, he wants to produce a, 
a patience and a long suffering. Somebody look at Colossians three twelve. Colossians three twelve. Thanks. There's another time that Paul says almost exactly the same thing. And you see it again, and again, I didn't write down all the scriptures to where he says this, but you see almost the same thing said over and over and over and over and over again to the churches that he's writing to, the churches that he had founded, the churches that he had put leadership into, the churches that he had laid down doctrine in, the churches that he had set up. That's what he's trying to tell them. This is how we're going to live. This is how we're going to grow. This is how we're going to be who God calls us to be. And so the manifestation of being humble and gentle is to be long-suffering. It's a patient. To be long-suffering and patient with others. And I'm going to say this because it isn't easy. To be patient with others regardless a provocation or offense. That's hard. That's hard. To be patient with others regardless of provocation and offense. That that's difficult. But not too difficult for God. Being unwilling to provoke or be easily provoked or offended. Yeah. Somebody look at uh, Philippians 2.3. Philippians 2.3. Selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourself. All right, another church, another time Paul says it. Right, so, I mean, we can ignore this. We can. To our own failure. You can ignore it. I can ignore it. We can all ignore this to our own failure. I find it interesting that he says just about the same thing to every church because this is the human condition. I find it interesting that he gives this kind of exhortation to every church. Why? Because he needs to. I find it interesting that every one of these churches, even though they'd been set up by him, even though the leadership had been trained by him, even though he had laid down the doctrine for the church, they still needed to be reminded of this, and they still need to be encouraged in this, and they still needed to be provoked on in this in a good and a positive way, kind of prodded on to continue to see this happening in and through their lives. It's a human condition. And so there's no judgment here, and I'm not trying to, to, to pick on anyone. I'm not picking on myself. I'm not picking on you. I'm not picking on anybody. I'm just teaching out of something that you hear so many times through the different epistles. It's got to mean something. If this is one of the main messages of the Sermon on the Mount, you got Jesus preaching this as one of the first things he preaches. you got Paul repeating this in every letter just about that he's writing to the churches. It would seem to me that it's somewhat important that we begin to take hold of this somehow in our lives and not just to ignore it because it's hard. Or we think it's hard. We perceive it as being difficult. Therefore, we're going to ignore that part. Well, I'll get to that later when I take care of some of the other things. Well, this is like first things. This isn't, this isn't some fringe thing that, oh yeah, I'll take care of this down the road because it's not really that important. Well, this is that important. This is key to who God's called us to be. This is key to our lives together. This is key to our life with Him. He is so important that he's saying it to every church, including us. And so we're taking hold of this, not as something that's some like fringe thing, but we're taking hold of this as something that is really 
kind of in the middle of who God's called us to be. And so, what does it mean to be patient when there wasn't any long-suffering? Well, regardless of provocation, people know how to provoke, don't they? They sure do. Regardless of offense, people know how to offend. They're good at it. Regardless of provocation or offense, to be long-suffering. Yeah. Yeah, we used to have a hold on this. At least some of us did for... I remember uh, we had some really difficult people through here when we first started. And we'd take people in to our homes. Oh, Andy, that's dangerous. Yeah, it is. Because you know what they did when they come into our homes? They'd steal from us. Yeah. Because that's what happens when you bring drug addicts into your home. You know what they do? They steal from you. Yeah. See, that that's irritating. That's irritating. It really is. I'm not, I'm not kidding you. That irritates me just thinking about it. And yet, those are the people that, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we continue to show patience with and long-suffering for. And those are the kinds of people that were able, in some cases, to see some major miraculous turnarounds in their life. Maybe not the first time. Maybe not even the second time. And you could say three strikes, you're out, but you're not really. That's just baseball. We're not playing baseball. And and so remember where I came from. How many times did I fail? Lots. More than three. God still loved me. God still took care of me. And God still had patience with me as I came about making the decisions I needed to make in my life. So that's where I came from. Can I cut somebody a little slack where they're coming from? I think I have to. I think I have to. And you can say, Andy, that's really stupid taking people like that into your house. Yep. It is. By the world standards. But I don't want to be conformed to the pattern of this world. I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. And and always remind yourself, Jesus had a thief as his treasurer. That guy was handling the money. He put him in charge of the money. Did he know he was a thief? Yeah. Yep. He did. Did he know what he was going to do? That's obvious. He he pointed it out before he did it. He knew what he was going to do. But there he was in their midst. I don't think there's any mistake in that. I don't think there's that's that's oh that just happened. I, I think that's a lesson for us. It's like is Jesus that big of a sucker? I hope so. I'm counting on it for my life. Yeah. That that he's willing. He's willing to trust. He's willing to give. He's willing to give again. He's willing to give another chance. He's willing to pour out some more grace, some more mercy, and some more forgiveness. Regardless. I'm counting on it. But my view of him is that big. Like, I see him as that loving, that big, that much forgiveness. You know, my God isn't out to get me. My God isn't waiting for me to make a mistake so he can wrap me on the knuckles. My God's loving me. And he's patient with me. And he's caring for me. And, and that's just how I see him. And because I can see that, and I can see that work in my life over a period of years, well, that calls me loudly to show some grace, to have some patience and some long-suffering as people come to places of decision in their own life. That's why we have to give people their time and their space to change. That's why we do that. 
Look around. I mean, there's people in positions of leadership. No other church is going to put them in any position of leadership. It's not going to happen. We got missionaries on the field, been on the field for a lot of years. Nobody else is going to put those people on the field. It's not going to happen. Well, let's see what God does. He's been doing some pretty neat things over a period of years. Something about letting the Holy Spirit do what He needs to do. Something about giving some time and space to Him instead of me trying to just make people act a certain way, to actually let the Holy Spirit change people from the inside out. There's something really powerful about that. And everybody says that until somebody stands up in church and says the F word out loud. Yeah, because everybody says, oh, we'll just give them their time to say the Holy Spirit's doing a work in him until they embarrass you in front of other people. That, that's when, oh, no, we can't have that. Well, yeah, we can. Yeah, we can. We can have that. Because that person's probably got bigger fish to fry than whether or not they use the F word in front of people. And part of me is kind of happy they feel comfortable enough in here that they would even do that because that's how they talk anyway. And maybe when they fry the fish of maybe drugs in their life or they fry the bigger fish of maybe some alcoholism in their life or they fry the bigger fish of getting set free from some other things in their life, they can work on their language skills a little bit. Maybe they can learn a new noun, verb, or adverb, or adjective to put in place of that word. That'd be awesome. But until then, let's, let's work on the bigger fish. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to do what He needs to do. I'm willing to wait. But that's what long-suffering is. You see the word long? That's the patient part. What's the other part of that word? Suffering. Oh, you mean you're uncomfortable? Oh, yeah. I get it. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, that, that's, that's where that comes from. We have to be willing to allow other people to fail. you got to be willing to allow people to fail. Because we're all going to do it. We're all going to fail. Because we're people. You know, people are going to fail you. You get in a relationship with people long enough, somebody's going to fail you. Somebody's going to do the wrong thing. They're going to say the wrong thing. They're going to act the wrong way. They're not going to respond the way you want them to respond. That's just how it is. I'd love to think that we have some perfect people somewhere that wouldn't do that. I just don't know where they are. And I've never run across them. And because I've never run across them, most people I've ever met, all the people I've ever met, I can say that confidently, are going to fail. The only one that didn't fail was Jesus. All right, good. But the rest of us, we're bigger losers than that. And we're going to. And so we have to allow for that in our life. You may be perfect, but you've got to allow other people around you to fail. Okay, does that sound okay to you then, if I say it that way? In your perfection, allow others to fail around you. Cut us some slack, please. Now, I know that sounds silly, but some of you may think that way. You won't admit it, but you might think that way. So let's allow for others to fail and and bear with one another out of a principle of love. Let love be a guiding principle for you. Yeah. What am I going to default to? Love. Well, this person's mean. I know. Let's... Let's default to love. And let that be the guiding principle of how you're going to bear with, say, the other person. Somebody look at 2 Corinthians 6 6. 2 Corinthians 6 6. Another epistle. 
in purity, understanding, patience, and kindness, in the Holy Spirit, and in sincere love. Thank you. There you have it again. How many times are you going to say this? Same words. Okay, he added a couple there, but I mean, you got basically saying you got three basic words that he's using over and over again. You get it? You understand it? Every letter, just about. I mean, every one that we're reading is the same words used over and over again. Why? Because we need to be reminded. Why? Because we need to be instructed. Why? Because this is the bottom line if we're going to live the way God wants us to live. These are the things. Yeah, it, it, we can't afford to ignore it. That's why he says them over and over again. Harder to ignore. It's harder to ignore it. Then he's writing a letter back to him. He's already taught him these things. He's already trained him in these things. He's already discipled him in these things. He's already laid this stuff down as doctrine in the church. Why he's writing a letter? What's he doing? Reminding him of these things. It's that important. It's that important that we allow love to cover stuff in our lives. Yeah. Others fail. Yeah. You need to bear with somebody. You got to let love cover some things. Like it's all right. It'll be all right. So let me look at 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 4. Another epistle. Hmm. Right. Again, you know that chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, but it's another letter to the Corinthian church. We read the second letter to the Corinthian church. Now that's the first letter to the Corinthian church. He's reminded them the first time. He's reminded them the second time. He reminded them of what he had taught them. He reminds them of what he had trained them in. He reminds the leadership of how he had raised them up. And here he is in his letters. Remember this. This is what love is. Let love cover this stuff. Now, everything I'm talking about is a work of the Holy Spirit in us. It's an active energy. It's not passive. If it's going to happen at all. It's going to be active. We're not sitting back and just letting it happen. We're actually engaging in order to see this happen around us. Now, he says in the next uh, he says in the next verse here that we're to stay united. Well, unity happens by an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We can't create it; it's a gift. All right, so that that's not us. That's not our that's not our business. That's God's business. He creates unity, and it's created by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. All right. And I say this a lot. So what's our business? We let God do His business. God's business is creating unity. So unity is created by the Holy Spirit. It's a gift. Alright? And so, what's our part? Well, our part, our business is to keep it, to guard it, to cherish it, and to practice it. That's our, that's our business. He creates it. He gives it. It's a gift. So then we keep it, we guard it, we cherish it, and then we practice it. That's our business. So we do our business. God does His business. That's how it works. And so, staying united speaks to a mutual union, a concord, a... a a harmony. A harmony. You know, one of our values talks about oneness. That's unity. It's a oneness. And in that value, there's a statement made, and that is oneness is not sameness. So in other words, you can be one, and that's the idea of harmony. You know, we, we can all be our own note in a sense. But the idea behind us being our own note is that we're working together with the other notes in order to create something richer and more beautiful. So being one doesn't necessarily indicate that we're going to be the same. 
It doesn't indicate that. Even though some people, that's the way that they, they, they try to interpret it. And so we should all be exactly the same. Well, I, I don't even like that. I like different. I, I like different perspectives. I like different points of view. Different expressions. But we have so many expressions here. And, and there's more that we haven't even explored yet. But you'll see expressions of drama, or you'll see expressions of art, or you'll see expressions of music or poetry. You'll see uh, people expressing things in, in, in a number of different ways. Cool. I want more. Dance. We see dance sometimes. I want more than that. I want to see what God and how God can can bring about different expressions of who He is and different expressions of worship and different expressions of of His truth and different expressions of His love in our midst. But that can all be done with a certain harmony. That can be done with a certain union about it. But in order for that to take place, it takes effort. It's effort. We don't create it. Again, that's God's business. Can you keep those two things separate? You got God's business of creating unity. You got God's business of giving us, by the power of His Holy Spirit, an indwelling that makes us unified. You got uh, the gift of God of unity and the gift of God of His Holy Spirit in us, but then we keep it, guard it, and cherish it, and practice it. It's going to take some effort. That's where our effort comes in. That's where not being passive comes in, is that we actually have to do something about it to avoid factions, to avoid the idea of party, the cliques, or whatever it is. And, and, and anybody can look at a group of people and say, oh, there's cliques. Well, there are certain... I mean, you can look at Jesus' disciples and say there were cliques. I mean, uh, Peter, James, and John, they were a clique, Right? Because there were three mentioned most of the time with Jesus. So that must have been a click. No, it wasn't a click. You can look at any group of people and see that there's certain parts of that group that are together. Why? Who knows? Maybe they like the same food. Maybe they like the same music. Maybe they like to play the same, uh, you know, role play fantasy games. <laughs> I don't know. Can't answer that question. <laughs> I just pulled that out anywhere. Anyway, maybe they like working on cars. Or maybe they, whatever. I don't know. All I'm saying is that there's certain natural things that take place like that. That's not what I'm talking about. And, 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 and don't seize on that. Don't be one of those people that, oh, it's, it's so clicky. Well, is it? It takes some effort to live in community. It just does. And it's not just external. In other words, like we could all get up on Sunday, which we don't do this on purpose, and we could all say the same creed. That doesn't mean we're unified. It just doesn't. You know, we could get up on Sunday and do things publicly together, but that doesn't mean we're unified. It just means we're participating in the same time with the same thing. But that, lots of people do that. I used to get up every morning in school, in homeroom, and say the Pledge of Allegiance for the whole classroom. doesn't mean we were unified. It just meant we all knew the Pledge of Allegiance and we were forced to say it every, every day. See, you understand what I'm saying? That doesn't create unity. So just doing external things doesn't really do that. But what needs to happen is that our relationships, one with another, have to be wrapped in peace all the time. And that takes effort. It takes effort to find out how somebody is. It takes effort to take just a few minutes and spend some time with somebody. It takes effort to pray for one another, for peace, to wrap us, that we're just wrapped in that kind of peace as a people. That takes some effort. It takes effort to just not ignore people. It takes effort to, to just not pretend people don't exist. It takes effort to crawl out of your world 
and engage other people where they are. It just takes a little bit of effort. Does that mean you're going to be best friends with everybody? No. But it takes some effort to care. It takes some effort to notice. It takes some effort to crawl out of your selfishness to find the people that are around you right now. That takes some effort. If you're waiting for unity and, and all that just to happen, it doesn't happen like that. I mean, God creates it. That's His business. But we got business too. We need to be about the business that God has given us to do. We need to be about it. And some of that business is an internal change that God wants to do in me and He wants to do in you. Some internal changes that He wants to make in us. Ways that we see things, ways that we understand things, ways that we see Him, we see ourselves. Those are all things that work by the Holy Spirit in us. That idea of being humble, that idea of being gentle, that idea of being patient. Well, He, he needs to do that in me. I need Him to do that in me. Because if that's just up to me and my effort, I'm going to fail all the time. I need a fundamental change by the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. I need more love. Gotta have it. I gotta have it. I gotta have it. Because the end result of all this, what I, I believe is that peace that He gives, that's the bond that keeps us together. And that's something we all got to work at. That's our, that's our business. To work at it. Let's take a few moments and I just want to give you the opportunity and I want to encourage you to give opportunity for the Holy Spirit to change something in you tonight. I'm going to be bold. Alright? I'm going to be bold enough to believe that God's here and that He can fundamentally change something in me tonight. He can fundamentally change something in you. He can fundamentally change the way you see things, the way that you're perceiving things, the way that you're understanding things. He can fundamentally change and give you some a humble spirit. He can fundamentally change and, and give you a, a patience, a long-suffering, a meekness about you. He can do it. Let Him. And if you're at a place where the cry of your heart is, Jesus, I just want to be like you. Well, then maybe you're done arguing about it. Maybe you're done thinking you got to protect yourself all the time. Maybe you're done thinking that you got to be number one. Maybe you're done thinking about all those kind of dumb things that we've been taught since we were kids. Maybe you're ready to leave that behind and take something bigger, better. Who's going to leave with that? Bigger and better. So, Heavenly Father, I just ask you tonight that as as we're here before you, that um, you do your work. Those of us that have reached a point where we're done arguing about it, we're done defending it, we're done trying to explain it, we're done trying to tell you how it should be, and we just want change. And at the cry of our heart, the cry of our heart is, Jesus, I just want to be like you. God, I pray you do a, just a work of your Holy Spirit in us tonight. Fundamental change in the way we see things. Fundamental change in the way we understand things. Fundamental change in the way that we interact with you and the way we interact with each other. I want to see the world differently. I want to see the people around me differently. I want to see you differently. I want to live differently than the way I've been living. And so I pray a work of the Holy Spirit in me. And I just want you to receive that work of the Holy Spirit. Just receive that work of the Holy Spirit. Change. Change.
And if you're in this room tonight, just let the Holy Spirit just minister change. Let, let Him touch your mind. Let Him touch your heart. If you're one of the hundreds of people that listen to this online, let the Holy Spirit touch your mind and touch your heart right where you're at right now. Just receive change. Let Him rework your mind. Renew it. Renew it. Renew it. I want to think differently, God. I want to see things differently. I want to experience things differently. Do your business, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, I thank you that your work is, your business is pouring out your spirit and bringing us together. So thanks. I thank you for unity. I thank you for the unity that your spirit brings. I pray, God, that we'd be a people who would get about the business that you've called us to. That we'd put the effort into seeing this happen. A people not offended. People not living in offense. Even when we're provoked to not provoke. A people that have been fundamentally changed and willing to put the effort in to live in harmony with the people that you've called us to be in community with. So thanks. I just pray something something good and something powerful happens right here in this place, God. Started in me. Started in me. Something good Something fundamentally different. Something changes in this place, God. Yeah. Thanks, God. Hmm. Thanks, God. Thank you, Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks, God. We pray for big change individually, corporately, every way, every way, every way. Hmm. Yeah, we give you thanks tonight. Gonna ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Continue to let the Holy Spirit do His work in you tonight. Uh, it doesn't have to end right here, right now. All right. Um, the meeting, we're going to end the meeting, but uh, just to allow the Holy Spirit to do what He wants to do and be open to that. Maybe before you go to sleep tonight, there's something that He's going to just do in you. Something that's going to change. Something's going to snap in your mind. Something's going to snap in your spirit and you're going to be different after that. Be open to that. Be open to the work that God wants to do.
He's got miracles. He's got to changes things. I mean, he can change anything in a moment. And I believe that he, he's in the business of doing that. So let's allow for that in our lives. See what he does. All right. Amen. Good to see you tonight. Thanks for coming. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community, like the comunidad. Yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah.